Good morning. I'm Ryan, and I get to be one of the people here on staff at the church. Please stand. We will recite the Shema together and read the scripture. The Shema is a prayer that Jesus would have said multiple times each day. And so we seek to be like him in this. You'll see some of us raise our pinkies as we say the Shema. And the reason that we do this is to remind ourselves that in the very smallest tip of God's finger, he has enough power to change the world. So please join me. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Please remain standing as I read today's text from both the first and the second chapters of the book of Exodus. From the first chapter, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. And from the second chapter. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that the baby was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On May 22nd, Ariana Grande had just finished a concert in Manchester, England, and as the audience was departing, a man detonated a bomb, killing himself, 22 other adults and children. 119 more people were injured. On May 26th, the man boarded a a light rail in Portland. He saw two young black teenage girls, one of them wearing a hijab, and he began to verbally assault them with racist and religious bigotry. Three bystanders attempted to intervene in the situation, and the man stabbed each of those bystanders, killing two of them. And in the last few months, there have been case after case of people berating their neighbors for the color of their skin or for their religion. On June 3rd, a white van drove onto London Bridge mowing over the pedestrians. 
Three men emerged from the van and began to stab the people around them. Eight people died that day and 48 more were injured. These are just a few of the violent actions that seem to take over our news sources alarmingly regularly today. You all know that there are many more that I haven't mentioned and you've probably seen what seems like an endless news cycle of terror and horror around the world. These acts are perpetrated by people that claim to be good followers of their gods and good citizens of their nations. And in the face of this, my wife Kylie and I last year began to have a number of discussions about whether or not we wanted to have a child. We, of course, had personal considerations to make, but a very large part of the conversations that we had had to do with these questions that we didn't exactly know how to answer. Is this world a good enough place to bring a child? If we have a child, will he or she be harmed? Do we want to raise a child in a world that seems to be so corrupt and so evil? Last week, we began our summer sermon series on Exodus, and in the text that we read today, the people of Israel face similar questions. As we discussed last week, Pharaoh has already enslaved the Israelite people, making their lives worse, more difficult, with higher quotas, harder work. And yet, as we read in verse 12 of the first chapter of Exodus, the Israelites multiplied and spread in the face of this adversity. In the face, in reacting to this this multiplication, Pharaoh doubles down on his attempt to limit the population of Israel. The first commandment that humanity was given in the garden that we read in the Bible is to be fruitful, to multiply, and to care care for the world around us. And Pharaoh, in his attempt to staunch the multiplication and fruitfulness of an entire nation, is actively working against the creative God. So Pharaoh doubles down. He enlists the Hebrew midwives to begin to murder every single male child born of the Hebrews. Midwives are, of course, the very definition of those people that seek to bring life into this world. And Pharaoh attempts to enlist them as agents of death. However, as we read in our scripture, these women feared God. They refused to go along with Pharaoh's edict. Pharaoh's attempt to work against creation. This phrase, fearing God and fear of God and fear of the Lord, appears over and over in Scripture and has been a point of confusion for people for quite some time. This word fear in Hebrew is yareh. Everybody say yareh. Way down here, yareh. This word is usually translated as your pretty straightforward fear. But it can also mean to wonder at, to revere, to respect. So fear of God and fear of the Lord means to wonder at God, to respect what God has done in this world in creating it, to revere this God and his creative acts. So fear of the Lord is to perpetuate life, to bring blessing into the world around us. And because of the courage these, of these midwives, Shifra and Pua, they aligned themselves with the creative task of God. Because of this, we now know their names while we still don't remember who Pharaoh was. We know their contributions to the people of Israel. 
The text even says that God dealt well with the midwives. He dealt tov, yatav, with them. Gave them strong, spreading families. We'll come back to this word tov in a couple of minutes. Can you guess the eventual result of this attempt by Pharaoh to staunch the growth? Like slavery had done, it says in the text that the people of Israel again multiplied. They again became more numerous. And so Pharaoh, with his plans frustrated, once again goes back to the drawing board. His new idea is not actually very original, but it is even more terrifying than his last. Instead of just enlisting a couple of Hebrew midwives to take his task to kill the male babies, he enlists his entire nation. He asks all the people of his nation to engage in genocide, to take the males of the babies of of the Hebrew people to cast them into the Nile. And it's here that we come to a turning point in the story of the Exodus, the story of Israel. The next thing that you find in the scripture is the story of the birth of Moses. But before we get to that, I want to tell you a story of the ancient Midrash. Midrash means out of interpretation, but there's a collection of stories that the rabbis told in order to help us understand, help us explain the scriptures more, and it was called the Midrash. In this story of the Midrash, when Pharaoh decrees that all the male babies have to die, the leaders, the parents, the adults, the people of Israel begin to divorce. They say to themselves, how can we marry and how can we bring children into this world in the face of such horror, in the face of these things that Pharaoh has said and Pharaoh has done? We have to cast our boys into the Nile to drown or to be eaten by crocodiles. It's better that we don't do it. But there was one young Hebrew girl named Miriam. And when her parents got divorced, she confronted them. She said, Pharaoh has only decreed against our boys, and yet you and your refusal to marry and you and your refusal to have children have decreed against our girls as well. So the girl's parents, seeing the wisdom of this young girl, remarried. They conceived and they gave birth to a baby boy that would eventually take the name of Moses. And because of her courage, Miriam was able to convince her parents to face the world and all of its horror, and continue to bring life into it. So Moses is born. And in verse 2 of the second chapter of Exodus, Moses' mother sees that this boy is beautiful, or this boy is fine, or this boy is special. The translators put many different words here, but what we need to know is that this word is tov. Everyone say mazel tov. Mazel tov. Yes, tov, tov. This word is usually translated as good. It's pretty straightforward, but what the author of our text wants to do is draw us back to something else. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. This light was tov. Tov has been used in our narrative twice so far, once in the way that God dealt with the midwives and once in the way that the the author and the mother of the baby described Moses. This author tries to draw us back to what else is good, and the good that he's drawing us back to is the creative God creating the world around us, creating us and placing us in this world, and tasking us with being fruitful, with multiplying, and for caring for the world around us and calling all of these things good. 
So the midwives are dealt with Yatav because they align themselves with the co-creative mission. And Moses is Tov because he eventually will do the same. Moses' mother, like the midwives, defies Pharaoh's command. She hides the boy so that he won't be cast into the Nile, but when he's too old to hide any longer, she puts the boy in a sealed basket and actually does place him into the Nile River, technically following Pharaoh's command. It appears that she does this with a little bit of cunning foresight. But before we get to that, we have another Hebrew word to cover. The Hebrew word for the basket that Moses is placed in is teba, everybody. Teba. Teba is only found in one other story in the Bible. In Genesis 6, God says to Noah, you shall build a teba. You shall build an ark. The story of the flood is often taught as a story of divine judgment, but the reality of the story is that it is a story of protection, of creation, and another invitation to humanity into joining into these creative acts. The ark in the flood narrative is an instrument of rebirth. It's an instrument of new promise. And so our author over and over again draws us back into these stories of creative power and God's place in this creative power and our place coming alongside God in that. And so this Hebrew woman places her child in an ark, in an instrument of rebirth, and she pushes this child into the Nile. The boy's sister waits nearby to see what happens. And the foresight of this mother guides her to put this baby in a place that she knows or she thinks perhaps somebody will come along and save this baby. And lo and behold, here comes the Egyptian princess. The daughter of Pharaoh himself comes to the river to bathe and finds this child. She sees this ark and she opens it and she sees a child. She hears the child crying. She remembers the edict that her father has given and takes pity on this child. She knows that something must be done. This child's sister at the point rushes forward and offers to find a wet nurse for the child. And because of this vigilance, she's able to go and get Moses' mother and bring her back to nurse her own child and to even be paid for it. And because of the courage of each of these women, Moses' mother... Moses' sister and even Pharaoh's daughter, they were able to ensure the life of this child. This story of Moses' birth is one of the best-known stories that we have in the Bible. We talk about it in Sunday school. We make cute videos and great little picture books. And we celebrate the providence in this story of a child that's cast into the Nile River to be eaten or drowned, but is miraculously saved. But the circumstances around the story are truly horrific. Pharaoh has already taken an entire nation of people and put them into slavery. When that doesn't accomplish his goals, he enlists the people that are here to bring life to become agents of death. And when again it doesn't work, he asks his entire nation to engage in genocide. In this story of appalling circumstances, the Hebrew response is to continue to create and maintain life. In that Midrashic story of Miriam, we heard that the wisdom of a young girl to her parents 
is to continue to bring babies into the world. Despite what is happening around them, despite the commands that Pharaoh has given, the possibility of danger to these very children. And after each of these attempts by Pharaoh to limit the population of the Hebrews, we either find this general phrase that the people continued to multiply, or we find a specific story about a specific family giving birth to a special child that would go forward and redeem an entire nation. The Hebrew people, when confronted with this question of whether or not this world is good enough, of whether or not this world is one in which they want to cultivate life, they answered this question with a resounding yes. They had babies. They helped to birth babies. They helped hide babies. They helped to ensure that these babies would have fruitful lives. And even the people outside of the tribe, like the Pharaoh's daughter, help in this way. Though she's not Hebrew ethnically or faithfully, she aligns herself with the creative mission of God. Elie Wiesel, who was a Holocaust survivor, an eventual Nobel Peace Prize recipient, was seeking guidance after the Holocaust about what he and his people could do next. He went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, a man named Rabbi Schneerson, and he said, what do we do after this horror? What do we do after the Holocaust? And the Rebbe's response was that the Jewish people that survived the Holocaust should go on living good lives as good Jews that they needed to give birth to Jewish babies and they needed to continue to teach these Jewish babies what it meant to be a part of the tribe that was called upon to bless all of the other tribes of the world. One of the astounding things about our story today is that God actually plays no active role. Not once in the narrative of the midwives or Moses' birth does the Bible tell us that God did something. It doesn't say that God protected any of the babies. It doesn't say that even the mother, uh, Moses' mother or sister prayed for God's protection when they put Moses in the river. It doesn't even say that God chose these particular people to play a role in the story. But this is the story of human courage. Human courage in the face of tragedy. It's a story about people that choose to align themselves with what they know as the creative God and to continue this creative God's task. It's a story of people that bring life into the world, both literally and figuratively, giving birth, protecting protecting life, sustaining life, and perpetuating that which is good in the world. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, says that in essence, the gospel itself is a story of the surfacing of the holy God through acts of human courage. So how then can we respond to the world around us? We respond by continuing to align ourselves with the creative mission of God. If you want to confront terrorism and racism and bigotry and genocide in our world, then bring life. Sustain life, perpetuate life, give life to those around you that need it. And you don't have to have a baby to do this. Please do not. Write David an email saying that Ryan told us we all have to go home and have babies. If you want to do that, go ahead, please. We'll celebrate that. But there are other ways. You can help children this summer learn how to read better. 
by going to Project Transformation. You can bring groceries into our Hope Center. You can come down to Haven for Hope with Fishing Under the Bridge or with Daryl and Chris and I for a Bible study. You can join us on a trip this fall to an orphanage in Piedras Negras, Mexico. You can make contributions to the Moore store and help the children in the African bush with access to clean water. This is how we respond to the world around us. This is how we bring life to this world. My wife and I did decide finally last year that we would bring new life into the world. And Oliver Douglas was born on January 16th of this year. The Parsha, which is a reading cycle of the Torah that's been done for over 2,000 years, it's something Jesus engaged in that we see in the Gospels. The Parsha that was to be read the day that my son was born were exactly these scriptures. It was the story of the Hebrew midwives and the story of Moses' birth. And of course, the moment that I met Oliver, I knew that my wife and I had made the right decision. But when I was reading and researching this sermon this week, I found another reason why it was such a good decision. And so we get back to our story of the Exodus. After Moses has grown up in the house of Pharaoh, he goes out to see his Hebrew kinsmen, and he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew men. He kills the Egyptian. And the next day, he tries to settle a dispute between two of his Hebrew brothers, and one of them does not trust them and asks, are you going to murder me like you murdered the Egyptian yesterday? Moses realizes now that his action has been found out. He has to flee from Egypt because, again, Pharaoh wants to kill him, and he has to spend the next 40 years away from the place that he's grown up, away from his home, away from his family. And our story today ends with these words at the end of the second chapter of Exodus. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. If you listen carefully, you find something familiar in this passage. The people are finally crying out for deliverance. And God sees them. God hears them crying out. God remembers his covenant. And God takes notice of them. We have one more Hebrew word of the day here. The word for took notice in the Hebrew is yada. Everybody say yada. Yada. Yada means knowledge. But it's not just the head knowledge. The word for hand in Hebrew is yad. And it comes from this word yada. So when you touch something, you know something. When you shake hands with somebody, you know that person. Yada is a knowledge that is both experiential and emotional. Yada is the word that's used in the Bible when it says that Abraham, or Adam knew his wife. Yada is an intimate word. For God to yada the Israelites in their cry for help means that he knew this cry to such an extent that he shared in the pain that those people felt, that he even shared in the crying out itself. God yadas 
their pain as his own. And this pattern of seeing, hearing, remembering, and knowing is the same pattern that Pharaoh's daughter follows when she finds the baby in the water. This pattern means that something has gone amiss in creation and that something is going to be put back in its right place. Notice that Moses, when he confronts the Egyptian, didn't follow this pattern. He saw the oppression, but he did not hear a cry. He did not remember a covenant. And he did not know what it was to be an alien until years later. Moses did not seek to perpetuate life in this moment. But he took life from the world. But now in our story, God sees, God hears, God remembers, and God knows. Please pray with me. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives us life, who sustains our lives, and who brings us to this very moment. We bless you, Father, for this creation, for this world that you've built around us, and we bless you for creating us and placing us in this world as well. We thank you, Father, that you called this place good, that you remind us that when we see the things that hurt, when we see the horror, when we see the terror, that we can remember that when you created this world, you called it good, you called us good, and you tasked us with caring for the world around us, for being fruitful and with, being, and with multiplying. We bless you, Father, for who you are and for who you've created us to be. In your name we pray. Amen.